Section 55 of Tom Jones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. Reading by Mary Rohde. Tom Jones by Henry Fielding. Book 15, in which the history advances about two days. Chapter 10 consisting partly of facts and partly of observations upon them. The letter, then, which arrived at the end of the preceding chapter, was from Mr. Allworthy, and the purport of it was his intention to come immediately to town with his nephew Blifel, and a desire to be accommodated with his usual lodgings, which were the first floor for himself and the second for his nephew. The cheerfulness which had before displayed itself in the countenance of the poor woman was a little clouded on this occasion. This news did indeed a good deal disconcert her. To requiet so disinterested a match with her daughter, by presently turning her new son-in-law out of doors, appeared to her very unjustifiable on the one hand, and on the other, she could scarce bear the thoughts of making any excuse to Mr. Allworthy, after all the obligations received from him, for depriving him of lodgings which were indeed strictly his due. For that gentleman, in conferring all his numberless benefits on others, acted by a rule diametrically opposite to what is practiced by most generous people. He contrived on all occasions to hide his beneficence not only from the world, but even from the object of it. He constantly used the words lend and pay instead of give, and by every other method he could invent always lessened with his tongue the favors he conferred, while he was heaping them with both his hands. When he settled the annuity of fifty pounds a year, therefore, on Mrs. Miller, he told her it was in consideration of always having her first floor when he was in town, which he scarce ever intended to be, but that she might let it at any other time, for that he would always send her a month's warning. He was now, however, hurried to town so suddenly that he had no opportunity of giving such notice, and this hurry probably prevented him when he wrote for his lodgings, adding, if they were then empty, for he would most certainly have been well satisfied to have relinquished them on a less sufficient excuse than what Mrs. Miller could now have made. But there are sort of persons who, as Pryor excellently well remarks, direct their conduct by something beyond the fixed and settled rules of vice and virtue in the schools, beyond the letter of the law. To these it is so far from being sufficient that their defense would acquit them at any old bailey that they are not even contented, though conscience, the severest of all judges, should discharge them. Nothing short of the fair and honorable will satisfy the delicacy of their minds, and if any of their actions fall short of this mark, they mope and pine, are as uneasy and restless as a murderer who is afraid of a ghost or of the hangman. Mrs. Miller was one of these. She could not conceal her uneasiness at this letter, with the contents of which she had no sooner acquainted the company, and given some hints of her distress, than Jones, her good angel, presently relieved her anxiety. 
"'As for myself, madam,' said he, "'my lodging is at your service at a moment's warning, "'and Mr. Nightingale, I am sure, "'as he cannot yet prepare a house fit to receive his lady, "'will consent to return to his new lodging, "'whither Mrs. Nightingale will certainly consent to go.' "'With which proposal both husband and wife instantly agreed.' The reader will easily believe that the cheeks of Mrs. Miller began again to glow with additional gratitude to Jones, but perhaps it may be more difficult to persuade him that Mr. Jones, having in his last speech called her daughter Mrs. Nightingale, it being the first time that agreeable sound had ever reached her ears, gave the fond mother more satisfaction and warmed her heart more towards Jones than his having dissipated her present anxiety. The next day was then appointed for the removal of the new married couple, and of Mr. Jones, who was likewise to be provided for in the same house with his friend. And now the serenity of the company was again restored, and they passed the day in the utmost cheerfulness, all except Jones, who, though he outwardly accompanied the rest in their mirth, felt many a bitter pang on the account of his Sophia, which were not a little heightened by the news of Mr. Blyfell's coming to town, for he clearly saw the intention of his journey. And what greatly aggravated his concern was, that Mrs. Honor, who had promised to inquire after Sophia, and to make her report to him early the next evening, had disappointed him. In the situation that he and his mistress were in at this time, there were scarce any grounds for him to hope that he should hear any good news. Yet he was as impatient to see Mrs. Honor as if he had expected she would bring him a letter with an assignation in it from Sophia, and bore the disappointment as ill. Whether this impatience arose from the natural weakness of the human mind, which makes it desirous to know the worst, and renders uncertainty the most intolerable of pains, or whether he still flattered himself with some secret hopes, we will not determine. But that it might be the last, whoever has loved cannot but know. For of all the powers exercised by this passion over our minds, one of the most wonderful is that of supporting hope in the midst of despair. Difficulties, improbabilities, nay, impossibilities, are quite overlooked by it, so that to any man extremely in love may be applied what Addison says of Caesar. The Alps and Pyrenees sink before him. Yet it is equally true that the same passion will sometimes make mountains of molehills, and produce despair in the midst of hope but these cold fits last not long in good constitutions. Which temper Jones was now in, we leave the reader to guess, having no exact information about it. But this is certain, that he had spent two hours in expectation when, being unable any longer to conceal his uneasiness, he retired to his room, where his anxiety had almost made him frantic, when the following letter was brought him from Mrs. Honor, with which we shall present the reader verbatim et literatim. Sir, I should certainly have called on you according to me promise, hadn't it been that her layship prevent me. For to be sure, sir, you knows very well that every person must look first at home, 
and certainly such another offer might not have ever happened, so as I should have been justly to blame, had I not accepted of it, when her layship was so very kind as to offer to make me her own human without me ever asking any such thing. To be sure, she is one of the best ladies in the world, and people who says to the contrary must be very wicked people in their hearts. To be sure, if ever I have said anything of that kind, it has been through ignorance, and I am heartily sorry for it. I knows your honor to be a gentleman of more honor and honesty, if I ever said any such thing, to repeat it to hurt a poor servant that has always had the greatest respect in the world for your honor. To be sure, one should keep one's tongue within one's teeth, for nobody knows what may happen. And to be sure, if anybody had told me yesterday that I should have been in so good a place to-day, I should not have believed it. For to be sure, I never was a dreamt of any such thing, nor should I ever have sought after any other body's place, but as her layship was so kind of her own accord to give it to me without asking, to be sure, Mrs. Etoff herself, nor no other body can blame me for accepting such a thing when it falls in me way. I beg your honor not to mention anything of what I have said, for I wish your honor all the good luck in the world, and I don't question but that you will have Madame Sophia in the end. But as to meself, your honor knows I can't be of any farther service to you in that matter, now being under the command of another person, and not me own mistress. I beg your honor to say nothing of what passed." and believe me to be, sir, your honor's humble servant to command till death. Honor Blackmore. Various were the conjectures which Jones entertained on this step of Lady Bellaston, who in reality had little farther design than to secure within her own house the repository of a secret, which she chose should make no farther progress than it had made already but mostly she desired to keep it from the ears of Sophia, for although that young lady was almost the only one who would never have repeated it again, her ladyship could not persuade herself of this, since, as she now hated poor Sophia with most implacable hatred, she conceived a reciprocal hatred to herself to be lodged in the tender breast of our heroine, where no such passion had ever yet found an entrance. While Jones was terrifying himself with the apprehension of a thousand dreadful machinations and deep political designs, which he imagined to be at the bottom of the promotion of honor, fortune, who hitherto seems to have been an utter enemy to his match with Sophia, tried a new method to put a final end to it by throwing a temptation in his way which in his present desperate situation it seemed unlikely he should be able to resist chapter eleven containing curious but not unprecedented matter there was a lady one mrs hunt who had often seen Jones at the house where he lodged, being intimately acquainted with the women there, and indeed a very great friend to Mrs. Miller. Her age was about thirty, for she owned six-and-twenty, her face and person very good, only inclining a little too much to be fat. She had been married young by her relations to an old turkey merchant, who, having got a great fortune, had left off trade. 
With him she lived without reproach, but not without pain, in a state of great self-denial, for about twelve years. And her virtue was rewarded by his dying, and leaving her very rich. The first year of her widowhood was just at an end, and she had passed it in a good deal of retirement, seeing only a few particular friends, and dividing her time between her devotions and novels, of which she was always extremely fond. Very good health, a very warm constitution, and a good deal of religion made it absolutely necessary for her to marry again. And she resolved to please herself in her second husband, as she had done her friends in the first. From her the following billet was brought to Jones. Sir, from the first day I saw you, I doubt my eyes have told you too plainly that you were not indifferent to me, but neither my tongue nor my hand should have ever avowed it, had not the ladies of the family where you are lodged given me such a character of you, and told me such proofs of your virtue and goodness, as convince me you are not only the most agreeable, but the most worthy of men. I have also the satisfaction to hear from them that neither my person, understanding, or character are disagreeable to you. I have a fortune sufficient to make us both happy, but which cannot make me so without you. In thus disposing myself, I know I shall incur the censure of the world. But if I did not love you more than I fear the world, I should not be worthy of you. One only difficulty stops me. I am informed that you are engaged in a commerce of gallantry with a woman of fashion. If you think it worth while to sacrifice that to the possession of me, I am yours. If not, forget my weakness, and let this remain an eternal secret between you and Arabella Hunt. At the reading of this, Jones was put into a violent flutter. His fortune was then at a very low ebb the source being stopped from which hitherto he had been supplied. Of all he had received from Lady Belliston, not above five guineas remained, and that very morning he had been dunned by a tradesman for twice that sum. His honourable mistress was in the hands of her father, and he had scarce any hopes ever to get her out of them again. To be subsisted at her expense, from that little fortune she had independent of her father, went much against the delicacy both of his pride and his love. This lady's fortune would have been exceeding convenient to him, and he could have no objection to her in any respect. On the contrary, he liked her as well as he did any woman except Sophia. But to abandon Sophia and marry another, that was impossible. He could not think of it upon any account. Yet why should he not? since it was plain she could not be his. Would it not be kinder to her than to continue her longer engaged in a hopeless passion for him? Ought he not to do so in friendship to her? This notion prevailed some moments, and he had almost determined to be false to her from a high point of honour. But that refinement was not able to stand very long against the voice of nature, which cried in his heart that such friendship was treason to love. At last he called for a pen, ink, and paper, and writ as follows to Mrs. Hunt. Madam, 
it would be but a poor return to the favour you have done me to sacrifice any gallantry to the possession of you and i would certainly do it though i were not disengaged as at present i am from any affair of that kind but i should not be the honest man you think me if i did not tell you that my affections are engaged to another who is a woman of virtue and one that i never can leave though it is probable i shall never possess her god forbid that in return of your kindness to me i should do you such an injury as to give you my hand when i cannot give my heart no i had much rather starve than be guilty of that even though my mistress were married to another i would not marry you unless my heart had entirely effaced all impressions of her be assured that your secret was not more safe in your own breast than in that of your most obliged and grateful humble servant t jones when our hero had finished and sent this letter he went to his scrutory took out miss western's muff kissed it several times and then strutted some turns about his room with more satisfaction of mind than ever any irishman felt in carrying off a fortune of fifty thousand pounds chapter twelve a discovery made by partridge while jones was exulting in the consciousness of his integrity partridge came capering into the room as was his custom when he brought or fancied he brought any good tidings he had been dispatched that morning by his master with orders to endeavour by the servants of lady bellaston or by any other means to discover whither sophia had been conveyed and he now returned and with a joyful countenance told our hero that he had found the lost bird i have seen sir says he black george the gamekeeper who is one of the servants whom the squire hath brought with him to town i knew him presently though i have not seen him these several years but you know sir he is a very remarkable man or to use a purer phrase he hath a most remarkable beard the largest and blackest i ever saw it was some time however before black george could recollect me well but what is your good news cried jones what do you know of my sophia you shall know presently sir answered partridge i am coming to it as fast as i can you are so impatient sir you would come at the infinitive mood before you can get to the imperative as i was saying sir it was some time before he recollected my face confound your face cried jones what of my sophia nay sir answered partridge i know nothing more of madame sophia than what i am going to tell you and i should have told you all before this if you had not interrupted me but if you look so angry at me you will frighten all of it out of my head or to use a purer phrase out of my memory i never saw you look so angry since the day we left upton which i shall remember if i was to live a thousand years well pray go on your own way said jones you are resolved to make me mad i find not for the world answered partridge i have suffered enough for that already which as i said i shall bear in my remembrance the longest day i have to live well but black george cried jones well sir as i was saying it was a long time before he could recollect me 
for, indeed, I am very much altered since I saw him. Non sum qualis eram. I have the troubles in the world, and nothing alters a man so much as grief. I have heard it will change the color of a man's hair in a night. However, at last, know me he did, that's sure enough, for we are both of an age, and were at the same charity school. George was a great dunce, but no matter for that. All men do not thrive in the world according to their learning. I am sure I have reason to say so, but it will be all one a thousand years hence. Well, sir, where was I? Oh, well, we no sooner knew each other than, after many hearty shakes by the hand, we agreed to go to an alehouse and take a pot, and by good luck the beer was some of the best I have met with since I have been in town. Now, sir, I am coming to the point, for no sooner did I name you, and told him that you and I came to town together and had lived together ever since, than he called for another pot, and swore he would drink to your health. And indeed he drank to your health so heartily that I was overjoyed to see there was so much gratitude left in the world. And after we had emptied that pot, I said I would buy my pot too. And so we drank another to your health, and then I made haste home to tell you the news. "'What news?' cried Jones. "'You have not mentioned a word of my Sophia.' "'Bless me! I had liked to have forgot that. "'Indeed, we mentioned a great deal about young Madame Western, "'and George told me all, "'that Mr. Blyfell is coming to town in order to be married to her. "'He had best make haste, then,' says I, "'or somebody will have her before he comes.' "'And indeed,' says I, Mr. Seagram, "'it is a thousand pity somebody should not have her, "'for he certainly loves her above all the women in the world. "'I would have both you and she know "'that it is not for her fortune he follows her, "'for I can assure you as to a matter of that "'there is another lady, one of much greater quality and fortune "'than she can pretend to, "'who is so fond of somebody that she comes after him day and night.' Here Jones fell into a passion with Partridge for having, as he said, betrayed him. But the poor fellow answered, he had mentioned no name. Besides, sir, said he, I can assure you George is sincerely your friend, and wished Mr. Blyfell at the devil more than once. Nay, he said he would do anything in his power upon earth to serve you, and so I am convinced he will. Betray you, indeed! "'Why, I question whether you have a better friend than George upon earth, except myself, or one that would go farther to serve you.' "'Well,' said Jones, a little pacified, "'you say this fellow who, I believe, indeed, is enough inclined to be my friend, lives in the same house with Sophia?' "'In the same house,' answered Partridge. "'Why, sir, he is one of the servants of the family, and very well dressed, I promise you he is.' If it was not for his black beard, you would hardly know him. One service, then, at least he may do me, says Jones. Sure he can certainly convey a letter to my Sophia. You have hit the nail, odd ungam, cries Partridge. How came I not to think of it? I will engage he shall do it upon the very first mentioning. Well, then, said Jones, do you leave me at present, and I will write a letter, which you shall deliver to him to-morrow morning, for I suppose you know where to find him. 
"'Oh, yes, sir,' answered Partridge. "'I shall certainly find him again. "'There is no fear of that. "'The liquor is too good for him to stay away long. "'I make no doubt but he will be there "'every day he stays in town.' "'So you don't know the street, then, "'where my Sophia is lodged?' cries Jones. "'Indeed, sir, I do,' said Partridge. "'What is the name of the street?' cries Jones. "'The name, sir?' "'Why, here, sir, just by,' answered Partridge, "'not above a street or two off. "'I don't indeed know the very name, "'for, as he never told me, if I had asked, you know, "'it might have put some suspicion into his head. "'No, no, sir, let me alone for that. "'I am too cunning for that, I promise you.' "'Thou art most wonderfully cunning indeed,' replied Jones. "'However, I will write to my charmer, "'since I believe you will be cunning enough "'to find him to-morrow at the alehouse.' "'And now, having dismissed the sagacious partridge, "'Mr. Jones sat himself down to write, "'in which employment we shall leave him for a time. "'And here we put an end to the fifteenth book.' End of chapter 12